Chapter Eight of the Confessions of a Poacher, edited by John Watson, Fellow of the Linnean Society. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Grouse poaching. For pleasurable excitement, to say nothing of profit, the pick of all poaching is for grouse. However fascinating partridge poaching may be, however pleasurable picking off pheasants from bare boughs, or the night-piercing screams of a netted hare, none of these can compare with the wild work of the moors. I am abroad on the heather just before the coming of the day. My way lies now along the rugged course of a fell beck, now along the lower shoulder of the mountain. The grey dissolves into dawn, the dawn into light, and the first blackcock crows to his grey hen in the hollow. As my head appears above the burnside, the ever-watchful curlews whistle and the plovers scream. A dotterel goes plaintively piping over the stones, and the cheep-cheep of the awakening ling-birds rises from every bray. A silent tarn lay shimmering in a green hollow beneath, and over its marge constantly flit a pair of summer snipe. The bellowing of red deer comes from a neighbouring corrie, and a herd of roe are browsing on the confines of the scrub. The sun mounts the eastern air, drives the mists away and beyond the lichen patches loved by the ptarmigan, and it is day. A glorious bird is the red grouse. Listen to its warning, cock, 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 as he eyes the invader of his moorland haunts. Now that it is day, his mate joins him on the know. The sun warms up his rufous plumage, and the crescent-shaped patch of vermilion over the eye glows in the strong light. It is these sights and sounds that warm me to my work, and dearly I love the moor game. Years ago I had sown grain along the fell side, so as to entice the grouse within range of an old flintlock, which I used with deadly effect from behind a stone wall. Then snares were set on the barley sheaves and corn stooks, by which a brace of birds were occasionally bagged. In after years, an unforeseen grouse harvest came in quite an unexpected manner. With the enclosure of the commons, hundreds of miles of wire fencing was erected, and in this way, before the birds had become accustomed to it, numbers were killed by flying against the fences. The casualties mostly occurred during thick weather, or when the mists had clung to the hills for days. At such times, grouse fly low and strike before seeing the obstacle. I never failed to note the mist caps hanging to the fell tops, and then, bag in hand, walked parallel to miles and miles of flimsy fence. Sometimes a dozen brace of birds were picked up in a morning, and on the lower grounds 
an occasional partridge, woodcock, or snipe. Grouse are the only game that ever tempted me to poach during close time, and then I only erred by a few days. Birds sold in London on the morning of the 12th bring the biggest prices of the season, and to supply the demand was a temptation I could never resist. Many a squire, many a country justice, has been tempted as I was, and fell as I fell. It is not too much to say that every one of the 3,000 birds sold in London on the opening day has been poached during the fence time. In the north, country station masters find hampers dropped on their platforms addressed to London dealers. But, as to who brought them, or how they came there, none ever knows. The only true prophet of the grouse moors is the poacher. Months before the squire and keeper, he knows whether disease will assert itself or no. By reason of his outdoor life, he has accuracy of eye and judgment sufficient to interpret what he sees aright. He is abroad in all weathers, and through every hour of the day and night. His clothes have taken on them the duns and browns of the moorlands, and he owns the subtle influence which attracts wild creatures to him. He has watched grouse at home since the beginning of the year. On the first spring day, the sun shines brightly at noon. The birds bask on the bray and spread their wings to the warmth. As the sun gains in power and spring comes slowly up the way, the red grouse give out gurgling notes and indulge in much strutting. The fell becks sparkles in the sun. The merlin screams over the heather, and the grouse packs break up. The birds are now seen singly or in pairs, and Bray answers Bray from dawn till dark. The cock-grouse takes his stand on some grey rock, and erects or depresses at pleasure his vermilion eye-streak. Pairing is not long continued, and the two find out a depression in the heather which they line with bents and mountain grasses. About eight eggs are laid, and the cock-grouse takes his stand upon the knoe to guard the nest from predaceous carrion and hooded crows. If hatching is successful, the young birds are quickly on their legs, and through spring and summer follow the brooding birds. They grow larger and plumper each day, until it is difficult to detect them from the adult. Meanwhile, August has come, and soon devastating death is dealt out to them. The sport, so far as the poacher is concerned, begins at the first rolling away of the morning mists, and then he often makes the best bag of the year. It was rarely that I was abroad later than two in the morning, and my first business was to wade out thigh-deep into the purple heather. From such a position, 
it is not difficult to locate the crowing of the moorbirds as they answer each other across the heather when this was done i would gain a rough stone wall and then by imitating the gurgling call notes of cock or hen i could bring up every grouse within hearing sometimes a dozen would be about me at one time then the birds were picked off as they flew over the knolls and braes or as they boldly stood on any eminence near if this method is deadly in early august it is infinitely more so during pairing time then if time and leisure be allowed and the poacher is a good caller almost every bird on a moor may be bagged the greatest number of grouse and consequently the best poaching is to be had on moors on which the heather is regularly burned grouse love the shoots of ling which spring up after burning and the birds which feed upon this invariably have the brightest plumage on a well-burnt moor the best poaching method is by using a silk net by watching for traces during the day it is not difficult to detect where the birds roost and once this is discovered the rest is easy the net is trailed along the ground by two men and dropped instantly on the whirr of wings the springing of the birds is the only guide in the darkness though the method skilfully carried out is most destructive and sometimes a whole covey is bagged at one sweep silk nets have three good qualities for night work those made of any other material being cumbersome and nearly useless they are light strong and are easily carried it is well to have about eighteen inches of glazed material along the bottom of the net or it is apt to catch in dragging where poaching is practised keepers often place in the likeliest places a number of strong stakes armed with protruding nails these however may be removed and replanted after the night's work or just at dusk a bunch of white feathers may be tied to point the position of each the planting of grain patches along the moor side has been mentioned and on these in late autumn great numbers of birds are bagged grouse are exceedingly fond of oats and in the early morning the stooks are sometimes almost black with them a pot-shot here from behind a wall or fence is generally a profitable one as the heavy charge of shot is sent straight at the brown black game are as keen as red grouse on oats and a few sheaves thrown about always attracts them although the blackcock is a noble bird in appearance he is dull and heavy and is easily bagged early in the season the birds lie until almost trod upon and of all game are the easiest to net they roost on the ground and usually seek out some sheltered brayside on which to sleep if closely watched at evening 
it is not difficult to clap a silk net over them upon the first favourable night, when both mother and grown young are bagged together. That there are gentlemen poachers as well as casuals and amateurs, the following incident relating to black game shows. On a dull misty day they are easily got at. They will sit on the thorn bushes and alders, and let the shooter pick them off one by one. I remember once, on such a day, taking a noble sportsman who was very keen to shoot a blackcock up to some black game sitting on a thorn hedge. When he got within about twenty-five yards, he fired his first barrel, after taking a very deliberate aim at an old grey hen. She took no notice, only shaking her feathers a little and hopping a short distance further on. The same result with the second barrel. He loaded again and fired. This time the old hen turned round and looked to see where the noise and unpleasant tickling sensation came from, and grew uneasy. The next attempt made her fly on to where her companions were sitting, and our friend then gave up his weapon to me in despair. Black game grow very stupid, also when on stubbles. They will let a man fire at them, and if they do not see him, will fly round the field and settle again, or pitch on a wall quite near to him. Grouse will do the same thing. There is not much sport in such shooting as this, but when out alone and wanting to make a bag, it is a sure and quick way to do so. It may be called poaching. All I can say is, there would be many more gentlemen poachers if they could obtain such chances and could not get game in any other way. Both grouse and black game may frequently be brought within range by placing a dead or stuffed bird on a rock or a stone wall. A small forked stick is made to support the head and neck of the decoy dummy, which, if there are birds in the vicinity, soon attracts them. As a rule, the lure is not long successful, but sufficiently so as to enable the poacher to make a big bag. Upon one occasion, I made a remarkable addition to our fur and feather. In the darkness, a movement was heard among the dense branches of a Scotch fir, when, looking up, a large bird which seemed as big as a turkey commenced to flutter off. It was stopped before it had flown many yards, and proved to be a handsome cock, Capacalzi, in splendid plumage. Had I been certain as to what it was, I certainly should not have fired. Grouse stalking is fascinating sport, and by this method I usually made my greatest achievements. The stalking was mainly done from behind an old moorland horse, with which I had struck up an acquaintance, and it learned to stand fire like a war veteran. I used to think it enjoyed the sport, 
and I believe it did. With the aid of my shaggy friend, I have successfully stalked hundreds of grouse, as its presence seemed to allay both fear and suspicion. Firing over its back, its neck, or beneath its belly, all were taken alike, patiently and sedately. An occasional handful of oats, or half a loaf, cemented the friendship of the old horse, my best and most constant poaching companion for years. End of chapter 8